Good day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to Series 7 of This Week in Startups Australia. Last week saw the collapse of one of Australia's most promising startups, Shoes of Prey. And although it'll be some time before we know the whole story, it seems that one significant factor in the failure of Jodie Fox's startup was an inability to scale her business. Scaling is the hardest task facing a startup entrepreneur. Harder than getting started, harder than getting to an MVP, harder than getting investment. Scaling is hard. But there are any number of startups who have scaled successfully, including a few that have already been on Twista, Canva, Envato, Catapult, and Airtasker. What can we learn from their successes in scaling? That's our theme for Series 7. In Series 6, we went from good to great, and now we've got our pedal to the metal, and we can feel the acceleration of startups at scale. To kick things off, we're talking to someone who knows what it takes, the best-known angel investor there is, Mr. Jason Calacanis. Twista is back, kids, so strap yourselves down and get ready for the ride of your life on This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is proudly sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Are you a small business looking to streamline costs on shipping and postage? Simplify and save with SendPro Plus from Pitney Bowes and receive a $200 credit toward your parcel shipping costs. Terms and conditions apply. Visit them online at pitneybowes.com slash au slash twista. This Week in Startups Australia is also proudly sponsored by Mobile Experience, a UX consultancy offering research, strategy, and design services to Australia's leading startups. Learn more at mobileexperience.com.au. In June of 2018, we had the very first launch Sydney event. Now, the day before that was the first Angel University, and I remember the day well, because it was one of those really wonderful Sydney winter days when it's cold, rainy, and so windy that the rain is coming at you sideways. It was literally the worst storm of the winter. And so when I got to the Angel University, and I got there a little bit late, I figured... Sydney being Sydney, because Sydney ciders are notorious for not coming out in good weather, for bad weather, that there would be maybe five people in the room. And I open up the door, and to my surprise, it is full to overflowing. There's not even a seat for me. I have to kind of just sort of back up against the wall. And people were really eagerly engaged. They were learning all about angel investing. And the thing that it showed me, and the thing that other people in the ecosystem took away from it was there was a real need in Australia for that kind of education, for that level of education around the opportunities. Now, Angel University is the brainchild of the patron saint of this podcast, Jason Calacanis. If you want to learn more about Jason's journey, go and have a listen to episode one of series six. We spent an hour going through all of that. But this time, we're going to talk about what he's learned from his work in Australia and what Australia needs to do in order to scale its success. So it's with great pleasure 
I get to welcome back to Twister the first guest for Series 7, Jason Calacanis. Welcome, Jason. Thanks for having me, and it's good to see you, my old friend. It is good to see you as well. We are now at, I think, what, 24 years. It's incredible. It's, uh, I, I, every time I see you, I just think, I'm so glad that you're in my life. And it's just really pleasing. I just want to say that you took on This Week in Startups Australia and have done a tremendous job with it. And it means a lot, I know, to the ecosystem there to, to have this moment, to have this podcast, because you get to celebrate, you know, what's going on and mm. you know it, it really the podcast for me in america is the two best moments of my week professionally i get to sit with great founders or investors or media journalists and and just learn authors yeah. and so it means the world to me and going down to sydney uh, and doing launch festival there has been amazing we did a two-year deal we may renew it we'll see um and we went down there you know thinking hey we, we might find an investment you know over the two years or two and we found seven great companies that were in our goldilocks zone the goldilocks zone for us and every investor has a goldilocks zone whether they say it explicitly or not is not too hot not too cold so too hot for us is you've already got your series a and you got 50 employees and 10 million in revenue you probably don't need an early stage investor and too cold is i got an idea i've got maybe a prototype i don't have a team yet that's probably too early for us to be an effective investor, mm. but Goldilocks zone for us is maybe a 5, 10, 20K a month in revenue. You got a team, three, four, five people, and you want to raise that, let's call it 500,000 to $3 million round and start ramping up to start scaling, to use a term. And so we found seven companies. We started can you, can you tell us who those seven companies were? Well, it was on stage. We, right. we, at the end of the event, we said it. I don't have them off the top of my head, but three of them uh, we've actually made an investment in. I can talk about two of the investments that are public, and they are here in America doing our accelerator. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Takeoffs.io um, and um, Posty are both in our program. And... These were just two revenue generating, you know, call it three to 10 person companies mm -hmm. that we thought were very promising. So we put $100,000 into each for 6% of the company. That's our standard accelerator deal. And they are doing exceptional. In fact, this week, I think that both of them, we every week we ask the investors who come to the accelerator to rate the companies, and they've been consistently coming in people's top three. Uh, and so I have to give a little disclaimer every time they come up. I'm like, you're going to hear two very strange accents. These are Australians. And <laughs> I, I, we operate under the philosophy here at launch that a great founder can come from anywhere and to never underestimate anyone. I learned that through 200 investments mm. and six or seven of them becoming unicorns. We believe... Uh, that we will hit a unicorn investor investment in Australia. We wouldn't be doing what we do if we didn't. Well, and, and Australia has its new brand new unicorn. Canva is the brand new unicorn in Australia. And and so we, we're we now looking, and, and at one of the real through lines on Series 7 is we must, and we do clearly have other companies that are now on this growth path, but, and I think this is a really key point, is that scaling is the thing that we have not done a lot of. In Silicon Valley, there are a lot of people who have been through a company that has gone to scale because yep. there are just a lot of companies that have gone to scale. So there's an enormous amount of experience around it. Could you start to sort of unpick for us the kinds of things that a startup needs to think about when they are at that 50-person level and they need to get to that 500-person level? Sure. Um, there really is uh, this very simple concept of product market fit. Uh, so when a startup's starting, I start to look at in the early stages, hey, does this startup have founder product fit? 
mm-hmm. or a founder market fit. What that means is the founder just loves working on that product. Yeah. So you and I love working on our podcasts. Yep. We would do it whether we made money from it or not. Um, and so you, you really have to start with that. Then does the founder really love working in that market? Do they love the participants in that market? And so Elon loves space. And if he lost money every year or you know, he wasn't uh, getting the rockets up to space, you don't have to worry about him giving up. In fact, he blew up the first couple of rockets and he didn't give up. And he went through you know, hell with production of Model 3 and he didn't give up. Yeah. So that's super important. But what we're assuming is that exists already and that even product market fit exists. In other words, there's a group of customers who love the product. Well, once you have that group of customers who love the product, now you have to figure out how many more can I find and how do you find them? And then how do you not lose them? So these two concepts are, um, you know, referred to here in the United States as uh, channels. So what, what channel is working for you? It could be Instagram. It could be Facebook. It could be in-person stuff. So, as an example, and, and every company will find something unique, I believe, mm-hmm. and they'll find things that are sort of just check boxes. So content marketing is a just tried and true way of getting people to your product. So if you write blog posts like Zillow and Redfin did, they wrote blog posts about buying homes. They did right. really advanced stuff like maybe marketing, uh, doing surveys of local communities and what the sales were. So by putting out that information, they enabled content marketing. SEO drove people to the site. Journalists would do that. So content marketing is something everybody can do. Mm. But what Zillow found, uh, they found something really compelling that nobody had, which was they did Zestimates. They basically made an estimate on people's houses. Super controversial, but when they did that, it became a growth hack because yeah. I'm now saying your house is worth a million. You paid 1.2. You, you're going to email me and you're going to update that estimate. So it was kind of heavy-handed. Some people got pissed off about it, but you can be sure everybody claimed yeah. their profile, said, I am the owner of this home. Yeah. I paid 1.2. Here's why you've got this you know, square footage wrong. Boom. So that's an example for them. Um, an example... Yeah, pe- people will correct the record if it's in their best interest sure. to correct the record. Exactly. If you say it's worth $2 million and I pay $1.2, yeah. mazel, let's keep going. Um, another interesting one was uh, Nextdoor. Nextdoor is a social network here in the United States. And they've just come to Australia. And they just came to Australia. I just did an interview for This Week in Startups with a f- uh, founder. And they said, email a postcard to your neighbor to invite them to Nextdoor. So you would see a map of all your neighbors from Google, and it would say, these three are green, so they're on next door already. These two are yellow, they've been invited. These ones are red, so I would click on them. So I invited my five neighbors, and since Jason Calacanis wants you to come on to next door, here's what it is. And they would send a postcard, so you knew that that person was actually in there. So there's all those little hacks that a startup can find that would be unique to them. But the thing with growth is, the founders of the company have to embrace growth with as much zeal and passion as they do their product. So I see people who are product people who are like, I don't wanna deal with growth. I'll hire a growth person, I'll hire a PR firm or somebody to do growth for us. That's not what you want. You wanna have somebody who will, uh, a founder who can embrace growth and start working on it themselves. We're talking to Jason Calacanis about scaling and you're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We'll be right back. Twista would like to welcome new sponsor, Pitney Bowes. 
Are you a small business or small e-tailer looking for better ways to streamline costs and improve efficiency? Introducing SendPro Plus from Pitney Bowes, the complete office sending solution that makes it easy for small businesses and e-tailers to consistently choose the right sending option for each parcel or letter. SendPro Plus provides shipping options and prices, prints labels, and tracks parcels. An integrated accurate scale helps assign the correct parcel label or postage. SendPro Plus makes sending simple with automatic rate updates and a shared address book across available carriers. Pitney Bowes brings shipping, mailing, and tracking capabilities to businesses looking to simplify their shipping and mailing while reducing costs. Simplify and save with SendPro Plus today and receive a $200 credit toward your parcel shipping costs. Terms and conditions apply. To learn more, visit pitneybowes.com au slash twista. And we're back on This Week in Startups Australia talking to Jason Calacanis. So, Jason, the response that you got at Angel University was bigger than you were expecting, certainly bigger than I was expecting. Yep. It showed that there's a need. Now, this, the recent startup uh, Oz report, the Crossroads report, showed that there is 10 times as much capital, venture capital, in Australia as there was only five years ago. That's, so we've gone 10x Amazing. in five years, which is great. But now this clearly, as you've identified, because you managed to put your finger on it, that there's this enormous untapped market for angel investment. What do we need to do in terms of process to scale angel? Because we have incredible systems to scale angel here in America. Yeah. By the way, I should tell everyone we're recording this at Jason's studio in America rather yeah. than my studio at the studio in Sydney today. Yeah. So we have these amazing resources here. What do we need to do to scale access to angel capital in Australia? So there's an educational component. Uh, angel investors make huge mistakes when they're getting started. Yeah. The number one mistake is they meet their cousins, roommates, uh, nephews, you know, boyfriend who has a startup and they give them $50,000 and that blows half their budget for angel investing. They never release the product and they put another 50K in and then they go, angel investing is stupid because they basically took one shot. Yeah. In my book, Angel, I sort of talk about better strategies Long story short, the best strategy is maybe to make 25 2K investments with your 50K, right. then pick the top two and give them another 25K each. In other words, you're going 12X on the two winners, and you're placing very small bets and then going in deeper, which if you were playing poker, it would be like, I'm going to see a flop. Then you hit the flop, then you want to get as much money in as possible when you have the best hand possible and the most data. But hold back until you have enough data. Correct. People get very excited. They start popping off. They just start doing splashy cashy and they, and they just want to just you know throw a bunch of money around and take your time there's no rush make small bets but then act like you made a big one so what i tell people who are getting started who i'm mentoring through the book and through the podcast and through andrew.university is if you if you think your average check size should be 25 put in 2500 mm -hmm. but act as if you put 25,000 in so take it that seriously yeah. but put a small amount in and guess what these companies always raise more money so when you get 10 companies and you put 2500 into each, one of them is going to all of a sudden get a round of financing from some notable investor. Then you go, wait a second, that notable investor has invested in seven unicorns. They're m smarter than me. They've got more experience. And I have pro rata rights 
and I've stayed in touch and been helpful to the founder, so they're going to let me put in 10 times my investment, put in 25000 Now you've got 27500 of your 50K bankroll in the best company and then twenty two five and everybody else. Right. Much better strategy. So I've spent a lot of time working with investors to do that. Now, in terms of the ecosystem, after you've educated individual investors, many hands makes for light work. So mm. we started a syndicate, the first syndicate we ever did, uh, about 60 of us put money into a meditation app called Calm. People thought we were stupid because meditation is dumb and it, who's ever going to pay for that and it, you can get it for free on YouTube. How many people are using Calm now, Jason? Well, it's, it's, it's millions and millions yeah. are paying. Yes. So they publicly reported an $80 million run rate. The last round was a $250 million one and they were making a fraction of that. They were Apple's app of the year last year mm. overall. Mm. And so the company objectively is in that unicorn territory. So to give you an idea of what that means on an investment, we invested $378,000 at a $5 million valuation. If the company becomes a unicorn, a billion dollar company or so, or more, um, we will have 200X our investments. That means for every dollar you get 200 back. So for the $378,000 we put in, you know, 10 times that's 3 million, 100 times that's 37 million, 200 times that, you're talking about, you know, 80 million, million, 70, yeah. $80 million is probably what our position is worth. And now it's not liquid. There's a lot of things that have to occur. I've seen billion dollar companies like fab.com and um, One King's Lane go to zero. Yeah. You know, you, you, you don't count your chickens with a hatch, but that one investment, we've done, I think, 86 syndicates for 30 or $40 million. So that one investment will pay for all other syndicates. If they all went to zero, yeah. that one would return more than all of them. Actually, this brings up a really interesting point that's related to this. So part of the the Startup Muster Report indicated that, in fact, startups don't want to list on ASX. It's not, But it's not clear that startups want to list at all. And this is one of the big things. Mm. We are in, they call it the IPO drought. I don't know what what, what is going on here. I mean, yes, yeah. we know it's really easy to get capital, but why are people afraid of actually going to the public market? Yeah, I, you have much, it's much easier to operate quietly without public scrutiny mm. and you have new sources of capital and larger funds so what happened was the venture funds started raising bigger funds they write a big they would write bigger checks companies were more capital efficient and you had people like fidelity t rose price you know all kinds of other firms come down and say we'll do mezzanine financing you know 100 million dollars 200 million yeah. and so essentially what happened was ipos got pushed out two years. So when you buy a public company today, it's sort of like buying what used to be a public company in year three or four. So Google and Facebook, uh, Facebook came out later. Yeah. Google came out earlier. And well, things like Netflix and Amazon came out super early. Google was only worth a few billion dollars, yeah, I think, for when sure. it went yeah. public, right? Yeah. yeah. So what that means is public market investors have seen their ability to hit big returns go down, mm. which means the private market is where all the action is. Right. But it's also the most risky, and it's the most opaque. So this is where you really have to be considered. But that's why so many people are drawn to it, because this is where... Uh, the gains were made now in the in the private market. But also, in particular, if you're not a Goldman Sachs, right? If yeah. you're not a T. Rowe Price, then you have to do it at the angel level because you won't right. have a seat at the table. At you're the, not at writing the a big levels. enough check. Yeah, when yeah. the hundred million dollar check comes in, you're not going to be able to participate in that round. So you have no choice but to get in early. Um, and so, angel investing is fun. 
the syndicate concept, since that time, we had maybe 200 members. We were on AngelList. We left. We're now at jasonsyndicate.com. And we have 2,900 members, of which I think 13 or 1,400 have actually done a deal now, okay. um, which is super interesting. And we have people who've done dozens of deals, and that's great. And so we write a deal memo. We email it to everybody. And we'll probably do that with the two or three probably two out of the three, I'm guessing, uh, Sydney companies, we will then email the syndicate and say, do you want to invest? So now what happens? Well, and why is that important for Sydney? You get between 50 and 250 people can participate in each syndicate now. It used mm -hmm. to be a limit of 99. It got up to 250 last year, thanks to some uh, legislation here in the Startups Act and repeal of Dodd-Frank. So we've gotten a little more aggressive here in America or a little less conservative, however you want to look at it, at letting more people participate. So you can have 250 members, up to $10 million in a round here in America. And we, for different uh, syndicates we've done had 150 to 250 people participate. So when you have 250 people participate, if they each put in $4,000, it's a million dollars. So this is unheard of. And each person's taking a small amount of risk, 4K, if you're an accredited investor or sophisticated investor in your parlance. Mm. It doesn't matter if you lose 4K. Who cares? Um, you know, people are spending, you know, 15K on their first class tickets, you well, know, flying. Also, so it, it doesn't matter if, if they lose you're it. doing a portfolio al allocation. That's also the part of that 10% of the portfolio that's allocated to high risk investments. It's completely fine. It's completely fine. So many hands makes for light work. Uh, what I'm going to try to do um, around, and I really haven't talked about this publicly, but I'll talk about it here. My goal is to maybe get those two or 300 Australian folks mm. in their own sort of mini syndicate mm -hmm. and maybe give them the ability to bring us deals. We will evaluate them. Yeah. They can participate and we'll be able to have Americans participate. And I'm been doing the same in the um, Japanese market. So my book, Angel, was translated in Tokyo, and people are very risk-averse. Uh, it was yes. translated to Japanese, and I spent a week in Tokyo and met a lot of angel investors, and there's about 30 of them there, it seems. <laughs> but hopefully I'll go from 30 to 3,000. And that's the the angel investing class happening and emerging in Australia would be great. And the government giving incentives and reducing legislation or introducing legislation that reduces friction would be the number one thing that could happen. So the government should take the approach of, if you're accredited, uh, or even not accredited, you can participate and risk up to this percentage of your net worth. Mm. You're an adult, have fun, mazel tov, don't worry about it. And on the other side, the companies don't have to do a bunch of filings if they're doing under this dollar amount. So instead of making it arduous, just say, you know what? If they're raising under $3 million and each individual's exposure is 100K or less, what's the worst that's going to happen? It's not going to be the risk of ruin. Nobody's coming in and mortgaging their house and putting $3 million to one startup. It's not Bitcoin, after all. It's not Bitcoin, yes. You decided to go there. I'm actually pretty excited about the collapse of cryptocurrency because when I got into cryptocurrency in those first couple of years, and we had a podcast about Bitcoin in 2008 when it was under a dollar, I was just so enthralled and enamored with these individuals who were the true believers yeah. and why they were doing it. And I'm so disgusted at the last two years of ICOs and the fraud that's going on. I would love to see crypto maybe collapse down to sub 1,000 Bitcoin and see all the charlatans, criminals, incompetent people flee 
yeah. licking their wounds but and it, get back to that core group of people. It's interesting, if we follow this a little bit, so I'm, I got to interview Lubin last, a uh, couple months ago, and of course he's just had to lay off 15% of the staff at Consensus. Now, mm. m- mind you, that's a lot of that's just, you're going to clear the deadwood, but a lot of that's around the fact that he's only worth probably a fifth of what he was worth yeah. at the beginning of the year to be able to fund all of this. Yeah, I mean, listen, it, if you look at what happened was clearly bubble behavior. Yes. Everybody knew it. Yeah. And I spoke at a crypto event in December last year, and I said, listen, if you are a 1,000x, 2,000x your original investment, please listen to me. Clear half your position. Exactly. And then take free, the profits. Take the profits. That's it's, what I did. Just take the profits yeah. and you know, see what happens on the other half. Sure, yeah. take a flyer. Yeah. Um, because... When you see that kind of appreciation, I mean, we're not talking a thousand percent. We're talking a thousand X or twenty thousand X for some people who got in at a dollar or twenty dollars or two hundred dollars, whatever it is. When you start seeing that kind of appreciation that doesn't exist in the history of investing very often, except in tulips, hey tulips, (laughs) dot com stocks. We all know how those worked out. Um, And you know that there's no there there yet. You you have to wonder what am I investing in? So when I the equivalent is I advise. Uh, you know, investors who are just getting started in angel investing to not do high-risk pre-product market fit investments. Now, that's a little bit of a bummer for founders that I'm saying that because they need money when they're pre-product market fit. But what I'm trying to do is think long-term. If you're a new angel investor and you've never done this before, make your first 10 to 20 investments, companies that have already hit profitability, break-even, or have some level of revenue and have products in the market that you can talk to the customers. If you can't find a paying customer or a customer who loves it to talk to, don't make the investment yet. Save yourself the trouble because 90% of the attrition happens because they never get product market fit. So exclude yourself from that very dicey, hard-to-navigate segment of the market. once you've actually gained the experience, then you can decide you can be more risky about sure. when you choose to invest. But I think your your advice is very well observed because what you're saying is until you actually feel comfortable, control your level of risk to where it can be well managed. And again, yeah. product market fit, this is the baseline for what you want every startup to have, certainly at the yeah. incubate program. Yeah. That's what we, we we expect them to leave with product market fit because yeah. if they don't, we feel like we have we haven't done our job and they haven't either. And this is why incubators exist. Yeah. And accelerators are for the next phase of company that have product market fit want to scale and accelerate their growth. Incubators exist to get the product to market. If you're a new angel investor you can just look at this like odds. You know, the chances of you finding one of those, the you picking the one in 10 that makes it to product market fit is very low. And for me, after 200 investments, it's also very low. So <laughs> I could sit here and pretend like, you know what, I know. I don't. And I've got more experience than, you know, 9,990 angel investors. There's like maybe nine angel investors have more experience than me. And I would tell you, you have a 3.5% hit rate. <laughs> exactly. Like, just let's be honest here. Like, uh, you're, nobody can predict what's going to work. Even com.com. People criticized me heavily. I didn't know if that was going to work. We put $378,000 into it. But I knew that the founder was amazing. They had got the domain name com.com mm. for like under 100000 They had built the million-dollar homepage. And my signaling was like, this person's brilliant at product. And I just had some really inside information about meditation because my friend Sam Harris had gotten me into it and introduced me to Diana Winston at UCLA's, you know, meditation, um, mindfulness thing. And I was like, 
yeah, you know, I know I have a little more information than other people, maybe enough to get myself in trouble, but I want to make this bet. But they did have maybe $50,000 in revenue a year when I invested. So Okay, yeah. yeah so. It was like a reasonable bet to make in yeah. my mind. And it's paid off amazingly, but it could have easily not paid off. And I've had other ones that I felt much more confident than com.com mm. that, you know, like real estate ones that I was like, oh, this is a real estate app. It's targeted at you know people who are buying, selling you know billions of dollars in real estate. How could it not work? All right. And as I, I'll give you a big long list. Here's all the reasons. <laughs> Let's. I want you to put yeah. on your futurist hat for a second. Sure. Looking forward, so I can see regtech is going to be a big thing clearly. And it's funny because mm. the first time I heard the word regtech as a word yeah. was on stage at launch in 2016. Sure. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, Regtech's going to be a thing. Health and wellness are going to be Huge. a thing. What are, in terms of the startup landscape over the next two years, what are the new things we're going to start to see that will be really big? That's a great question. Um, I try to not be too thematic in my investments because looking back, when you can name a category, the opportunity is probably left. Mm. So when you can say on demand is a category to define what Airbnb, Uber, Lyft, and Postmates do. Mm-hmm. Uber, Lyft, Postmates are all worth a billion or $2 billion, and the journalists and investors have all gotten together and say, what do we call that group of companies? So be careful um, with really defining that. But the thing that I see that is really interesting as a general trend is the unbundling of our generation spending 150 bucks a month on our TV right. has taken $1,800 on average here in America in people's wallets yep. and set it free. Uh, so what does that mean? It means people could spend $10 a month on an app that teaches them how to dance. We made an investment in a company called Steezy. Um, or they could spend you know, 5 bucks a month on an app that lets them do meditation. Mm-hmm. So you used to get History Channel and sports and all this stuff bundled together, but maybe you weren't into history or sports. You were into other stuff. And there was no meditation channel and no dance channel. Now you're going to be able to reconfigure that. I believe everybody's going to have 10 subscriptions, 20 subscriptions, mm. and every month they'll evaluate them and figure out which ones they want to do. And these are consumers. They're willing to pay. But founders are scared to charge, and they want to get to scale before they charge. And I'm like, I don't get it. Like, if I had a pizzeria and it wasn't at scale, right. product, I wouldn't give the pizza away for free. Your product has to be so good that people are always willing to pay for it. Even right. if they can get it for free, they have to always be willing to pay for it. And you, the virtuous thing about charging is it gives you a feedback loop. If people pay a dollar or two for that slice of pizza and it's cold or the dough's not good or the sauce is burnt, whatever it is, they're going to say, you burnt the sauce. I want a refund, and you can then put that into making better sauce, and now you got that feedback loop. I meet so many founders who've been working for three years. They have 10,000 people using their software. Nobody's paying. They call them customers when they're really just users, and they don't have the feedback loop. From day one, Airbnb, Uber, Lyft charged a percentage. They didn't say, let's get to a million rides and then decide how we're going to make money. They didn't want to train the driver partners or the Post that they, it was a free ride. Mm. So be careful. And when you charge customers, you get the feedback loop. So I think charging customers is this wonderful trend uh, because you can then define the lifetime value of a customer and you can define your customer acquisition costs. So this is called LTV, lifetime value, and CAC, customer acquisition costs. Then you can start dividing all these things by each other. You can look at churn, how many people leave every month. And your organization goes from being unscientific, delusional, you know, hope. <laughs> Fantasy-based. Fantasy-based. You're playing fantasy sports, and now you're playing real sports. You're gambling with real money. And I can tell you this as a poker player, as you up the stakes, 
you know, the first time I lost a Prius playing poker, I was up till two in the morning doing the math on the hand where I lost the Prius. And I was a 64% favorite. I can replay the hand right now. And I was like, okay, I did the right thing. I should take that bet. If somebody offered me 100 times to be 64 or 36, I should take it 100 times. Okay, I cannot feel bad about my play. Right. Other times, I knew I was beaten. I called, and I shouldn't have. So it makes it real for you. That's one of the things I love about angel investing. It makes it very real. Um, and if you do it right, angel investing can not only be fun, and you get to hang out with the smartest, most energetic, effervescent, brilliant people in the world, um, it can be rewarding financially as well. So you get this like double or triple reward. The thrill of being in the arena, right? The thrill of getting returns and the thrill of understanding where the future is. So right now I'm obsessed with subscription businesses and founders who are into charging in another year or two, maybe other things. I love robotics. I feel like, you know, every time we've discussed this so many times about VR or AR, you get all these false starts, you get like the revolution is here. Oh, it's not here. The revolution is here. It's not here. With robotics, the revolution is here. Yeah. Like these robots are actually doing shit in the real world. Oh, sorry. They're doing sugar in the real world. Like they're actually serving coffee at Cafe X. They're cleaning your floor with Roombas. I, I've been meeting people who are obsessed with their Roombas. I thought Roomba was a gimmick. Now people are like, it actually works. And there's a wet one and there's a dry one and, there's a, and they can't shut up about it. So like, it's really interesting to me, the false starts and knowing when the false start is over. I'm looking at housing and construction is one of my big ones because there's some categories that haven't fallen. Like transportation fell yeah. and uh, hotels and hospitality fell yeah. with Airbnb. Now I'm looking at can we solve construction? So takeoffs.io is doing that. Blockable. We're building modular stackable housing. Yeah. Um, education is a big one for me. Education I'm, is hard. It's education hard. Is, I, I mean, but if you figure it out, oh, the reward. Uh, yes. Oh, the reward if you figure it out. Can you imagine if somebody figures out a better degree? I mean, look at the debt for, and look at the difference between how much it costs to get a degree and the value it provides if somebody figures that out and they can provide a degree for 10% of the price that performs 10 times better, if you and I sat there for a year, we would figure it out. Yes, and education is also one of the most human things that we do is learning from each other, mentoring each other. Mimicking. And, and a lot of that you can't automate. And so some of that cost is just it's, it's because we're human that there's yeah. just costs in it. And this is why I've seen so many companies bash their heads and I review so many proposals to get into an incubator where we solve this part of it. And I'm like, no, you haven't. I've seen that done a hundred times and yeah. no one's made it work. Yeah. And you know, one of the great things is, you know, back to like core tenets and philosophies of investing. Um, we look at it and we try not to be cynical. Um, it's hard because when you see a hundred gravestones in a category, mm. it's very hard to be like, you know, when you see like somebody jump into the middle of the graveyard, they're like, I'm here. It's going to be different this time. And they're <laughs> standing like, amongst a hundred gravestones. You're like, no, no. You're like, no, there's gravestones. And then you know what? It turns out to be YouTube. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. like YouTube figured it out. Yeah. Like, okay, how did they figure it out? It was like, oh, the why now. The why now for YouTube was your reward for putting a viral video up in the early days was when it went viral, you got a $10,000 bill from your hosting company right. and they turned off your website and you got a page that said this schmuck's credit card doesn't work and you can't watch the viral video. And YouTube was like, oh, if it goes viral, we'll send you $10,000. And you're like, what? Oh my God. 
And what was the why now? Cloud computing. All the dark fiber that had been set up in the yeah. dot-com boom was available for f- close to nothing. Yeah. And storage went close to nothing because of cloud computing. And they were just like, you know what? We see a world in two years where it's not going to matter. The storage and the transport of this isn't going to matter. So all we have to do is fund the company for two years and then get dollar CPMs at some point, And this is going to be a juggernaut. They and figured they, it and out. they got bought by Google before that two years ran out. It's, it would be a $200 billion company right now, I believe. And, and you look at Amazon Web Services. I mean, that's going to be a trillion-dollar company in and of itself. They, they, they're going to have to spin that out of Amazon, I believe. <laughs> it will be bigger than Amazon, perhaps. Jason, we could go on forever, but... And we have. (laughs) (laughs) We need to move on. Thank you so much for being our first guest Uh on Series 7 of This Week in Startups Australia. And can I just say um, thank you to the uh, community in Australia, because they really have been very warm and appreciative of us coming down, and it really has motivated me to want to spend more time there. So I really appreciate it. We look forward to seeing you again for Launch 2019 in June. LaunchFestivalSydney.com. Twista would like to welcome new sponsor Mobile Experience, a UX consultancy that can amplify your startup's capacities in three key areas. Through research with business and customers, developing strategy to determine the right platforms, offering award-winning design from wireframing all the way to animation. Their clients include Twista guests go far in the yield and include award-winning startups like Soldierly. They're happy to help from reviewing your work to working alongside your team to get to market on time or taking your existing MVP to the next level. Learn more at mobileexperience.com.au. After 25 years, it is still always a pleasure to have a chance to sit down and have a conversation with Jason Calacanis. I have seen him learn so much. He's a sponge. Everything that he has learned is inside, and he's willing, if you squeeze him a little bit like a good sponge, to give what he's learned to you. So it's really interesting watching all of these startup founders and also startup mentors and startup ecosystem leaders all learning from him and all giving something to him as well because he's become a real connection point across the startup community as people are coming in to invest or coming in to start up or scaling their businesses. He's become that central point that allows them to learn and grow. And he'll be bringing that to Sydney with the Launch Sydney Festival in June. Big thanks to Twista sponsors Pitney Bowes and Mobile Experience. Their support makes this podcast possible. Thanks to the studio at Winyard Green for providing the amazing facility where we record this week in Startups Australia. It's the place for creative tech. Find out more at thestudio.org.au. Thanks to Jason Calacanis for making time to come on our show. You can learn more about what's happening in June at launchfestivalsydney.com. Now, last year, we rebuilt and relaunched our website at twistartupsaus.com. It's got everything. It's got all the shows. It's got all the interviews. It's got all the photos, all the links to all the stories. Check it out at twistartupsaus.com. 
Now, we'll be back next week with our first news special for Series 7. And as you can tell from the recent stories about Shoes of Prey, there's going to be plenty to discuss with our expert panel. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia. <laughs>